0: We tend to take for granted the things that we are familiar with. And one of the things that many of us in this room are super familiar with is the English language. If stats and kind of just data patterns and data sets are true, the majority of you, the vast majority of you in this room and watching online, only speak one language, and that's the English language. You grew up with it, it's all you've known. And so because of that, most of us don't realize just how hard this language is to learn that we speak. If you've met somebody that is a non-native English speaker or for whom it's just a second language, you know that it's, it's not easy to learn this language. Our language does not follow the rules. It breaks all of its own rules and it's inconsistent. There are words that are spelled differently but pronounced the same. There are words that are seem to be spelled and uh, pronounced similarly, but then they're very different. It can be a very hard thing to learn and speak English. Even some of you who speak English have a hard time pronouncing some words, like this one. How do you pronounce this word? Is it quinoa or quinoa? Or um, you're in the store looking at the rice, and should I get rice or should I get this one I can't pronounce? I love going to get a smoothie and watching somebody try to pronounce this word right here. Is it a Kai? Is it a, acai? It's acai. Um, we live in an area where this word is relevant. How do you pronounce this word? Is it rural or rural or earl? You know, like how do you pronounce that word? One of the hardest words I pronounce is this word right here. I just say W sauce, you know. Um, it's or uh, sister, sister, sire. Um, one of the hardest words I found this week, I went for a search, is this word right here. So this is an ear, nose, and throat doctor, an otorhinolaryngologist. I did practice that one this week. And what's interesting is that there are some words that challenge our tongues. But then there are other words that we say that challenge our souls. Like this phrase. Saying I have a problem is way harder than saying quinoa. Saying I was wrong can be way harder than pronouncing acai. When you've screwed up, saying I'm sorry will challenge you much more than war sister, sister, sire. Or how about this one? I forgive you. For me, one of the hardest words to say is I need help. I don't like to need help. I don't like the feeling that is associated with asking for help. I've had to work really hard to get these three words out and tell myself that I'm not a failure for having to ask it. And what we're going to see today in the message is that when we are willing to take bold steps and say bold words, incredible things can happen. We're in a series this spring called Didn't See It Coming. We're talking about those moments in life and a particular moment in the Bible that people didn't see coming. It surprised them, caught them off guard. They found themselves in an unexpected circumstance. And we've been following the story of the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And last week, when last week's message ended, it was a bit of a cliffhanger. Now, it wasn't like your favorite TV show where you're waiting one week for the next episode to come out on streaming. It's there in your Bible. You can read it. I finished where I finished in my sermon. You could have gone home and read it. But when last week's message ended, we watched what Ruth and Naomi did that was bold and courageous and obedient. And then, as Jake mentioned in his prayer, they had to wait. They did all they could, and now it was, okay, what is God going to do? And so we've now been a week later, and we're going to pick up the rest of the story. So if you have your Bibles today, I want to invite you to open to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth is the eighth book in the Bible. It's after the book of Judges, before the book of First Samuel. In this series, we've been doing a chapter a week. With this chapter, we're going to break it into two messages. So the last week in this series will be next week. We'll tackle the final section of Ruth 4. But today, we're going to be in the first part of this chapter. And what we're going to see today in this chapter is three elements to this redemption story. And so if you have your Bible with you, or even if you don't, I want to invite you to stand So we honor God's word as we dive into this first section together. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, our friend Kelly is going to have it on the screen next to me or behind me for you to follow along. Here's how Ruth 4 opens. Boaz went to the gate of the town and he sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by and Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over there and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. And he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you don't want to redeem it, redeem it. tell me so that I will know Because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Jesus, we pray that we would see with clarity the beauty of the redemption you do in people's lives. Because you're willing to pay the price that they might be able to come home to you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you today. My rock and my redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I told you there was three elements to this redemption story that we were going to see today in Ruth 4, and here's the first element. Boaz activates his plan to redeem. Boaz has a plan, and he puts it into action. Now, if you were here last week, you know that Ruth and Naomi had a plan. Ruth 3, Naomi makes the plan. Ruth executes that plan. Now we see that Boaz has a plan. So for those of you who tend to not make plans, that's okay. That's maybe how God wired you. Maybe you're more just kind of impulsive and spontaneous. But there is a place for planning even as we follow Christ. And this plan begins to be activated at the town gate. Because in the day of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, if you lived in a town that had any size, your town would be surrounded by walls to protect your town from people who had evil intent. And so the people would gather together to do business, to see each other at the town gate in the hole in the wall. Now, in our town, there are not walls surrounding Prescott. But there are places if you want to see people that you go. For me, on the weekend, if I want to see people, I either go to the downtown square or Costco. I will see people (laughs) if I go to one of those two places. But for them, the town gate was that gathering place that everybody going in and out of the town had to go through. And it's the place where business and transactions were done. And so Boaz goes there knowing that the man he needs to talk to will eventually come by. And that man is what's called the kinsman redeemer. He is a relative of Boaz and Ruth. He is, in fact, a closer relative than Boaz. And and this man comes and Boaz says, hey, your relatives, Naomi and Ruth, are about to have a business transaction. They're going to sell the land that fell to Naomi when her husband Elimelech died. They're going to sell the land to take care of themselves and provide for themselves, which triggers an ancient law that was rooted in the Old Testament. Now, if you've ever read the Old Testament before, you know that typically Leviticus is where all Bible reading plans die. You love the stories of Genesis. You remember the story of Exodus. Think about Charlton Heston in that moment. But get to Leviticus and it gets hard. So most of us have not read Leviticus 25 because in Leviticus 25, Moses speaking on behalf of God says the land is not to be permanently sold because it's mine and you are only aliens and temporary residents of my land. You are to allow the redemption of any land you occupy. If your brother becomes destitute And sells part of his property, his nearest relative, his kinsman, may come and redeem what his brother has sold, hence the term kinsman redeemer. And the meaning of the word redemption that we see in this text is to set free by paying a price. And so what's going to happen here is that Ruth and Naomi need to be able to survive. And they're going to use the land to give them the resources to survive. But according to Leviticus 25, a stipulation is put into place so that the land stays in their family. And it's going to be purchased by a family member to keep it in their family. Now, again, this is a very different world than our world. And the reason that I know that is because of what's about to happen right now. How many of you were born in Prescott or the Quad Cities? Raise your hand how many of you are natives? Okay. I see like five hands. How many of you moved here and you were not born here? Raise your hand. Keep your hands up. Okay. Like 90 plus percent of you, it was even higher at the nine o'clock service. You left somewhere to move here. Some of you left land and you sold land. Some of you left a home and sold a home. And it wasn't that big of a deal for you. Maybe it was hard. It's where you'd always lived. Maybe it was hard. It was the home that you're kids grew up in. Maybe it was the home that you first owned with your spouse, but you and your relationship to that land don't even touch the relationship the people had to the land in the book of Ruth. Because in the book of Ruth, land, life, and legacy were all attached to one another. The land that they owned, that Elimelech owned, that Naomi's going to sell, was given to their family through God's blessing of the, the child of Jacob that they were, the 12 tribes of Israel. This land came from God through their ancestor, and it was to stay in their family. People didn't migrate away from family in that day. They stayed there, and land was passed down along the family line and how your land went was how your life went and the way you passed on your legacy was through your land. So this is not just a business transaction like, hey, we're going to upgrade our house. We're going to move maybe from further out in, Ch- in Chino or in Dewey. We're going to move it maybe to Prescott. This is not like an upgrade or a change. This is the livelihood and the legacy of their family. That's why it's so important. And so they go to the city gate with the 10 elders there to kind of authorize and sanction the transaction. And Boaz looks to this other kinsman redeemer and says, do you want to redeem it? And he says, I want to redeem it. And what we see happens next, this is not in the Bible. So this is just Scott. So I'll just tell you, this is not inspired. The Bible is inspired and, and inerrant. Scott is not inspired and he is errant every day. But I think Boaz knew this guy, and he calculated his plan based upon what he knew this guy was going to do. Because what Boaz does is he asks the first question. This man, who we don't know who he is, says, I want to redeem it. And then Boaz goes, okay, now that you want to redeem it, I'm going to tell you a little bit more. That's the second part of this redemption story. Number two for taking notes. Boaz was willing to pay the price to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Naomi. Why is it a big deal that he was willing to pay the price? Because the other guy wasn't. If you have your Bible still with you, open up to Ruth 4, verse 5. There it says, Then Boaz said, By the way, that's not in the Bible. That's just Scott's translation. Want a piece of information? On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I can't, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance, take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. So Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon, his two sons. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name... Will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. So, what we see happen here is in this second piece of information, Boaz says, Hey, by the way, buddy, this is a package deal. It isn't just that you're going to buy a piece of land, you're going to get a wife too. And with it, the expectation that you will give her an heir to inherit the land that was purchased so it will stay in the family of Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion. And this nameless redeemer says, you know what? When it was just land, I was good. But now that it involves a wife, no. And what we see in this moment is that redemption is costly and inconvenient. Whenever something is redeemed, whenever someone is redeemed, it's not cheap. It's not convenient. It's not easy for this man. He was willing to do it when he got the benefit of it. But when he had to pay a price, when he was going to be inconvenienced, he said, no, I'm good. I'm going to back out. And that's why I think that Boaz knew this and calculated his plan that way. Because he knew that this man was going to be put off by this. The reason why he was put off, and it says in the text that he will ruin his inheritance, is that it's very likely he did not have a male heir yet. And if the child of this nameless redeemer and Ruth was his only male son, that child would receive all of Elimelech's inheritance as well as a portion of his. And it would mess up where his inheritance went. And he didn't want to give that up. So he refused to redeem Ruth, Naomi, and their land. And this deal gets secured not like how our deal would. If you were going to sign for a house or a piece of land, you'd sit in a title office or, you know, maybe online because everything went online during COVID, and you'd sign your signature, and that would seal the deal. In their day, it was different. Does anybody have a flip-flop I can borrow? Nick, are you wearing flip-flops today? okay anybody have a flip-flop a sandal anybody got a sandal i got a sandal okay can you throw that to me can we do oh perfect sorry video guys so i had somebody up in the second row for service they really helped me out thank you for your sandal by the way um it's a sanic it's a good brand of sandal so in that day everybody wore sandals so if you've ever gone to church before where people were like you can't wear sandals to church jesus wore sandals that's your excuse you use if you wear sandals to church But in that day, you would take off your sandal and you would give it to the person you were doing the deal with. And that sandal that was owned by the person who owned the land gave you the right to walk on the land. The sandal of the owner could walk on the land. And so if you owned the sandal of the owner, you could walk on the land. Now, I will tell you, because some of you think I'm an expert at all things Bible, I don't know what happened to the guy who only had one sandal. <laughs> Did he have another pair at home that he could go get? Did he stop by the Sanuk store on the way home to get a new pair or a matching one? I have no idea. I don't know. But what I do know is in that moment, the deal was sealed and Boaz became the one who redeemed the property. I'm going to give this to somebody, to Jake. Thanks for the help, Jake. So what's interesting about this passage is not what happens to the sandal. What's interesting about this passage is who is not in this passage. In this passage, there are two names that you don't see in the summary that Boaz gives. And those two names are Orpah and this other redeemer. In this text, if you have your Bible open and you look down at verse 9, Boaz kind of summarizes this. Boaz is there. He says, I'm buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, Malon, and Ruth. The two people that we've met in Ruth that aren't in this summary are Orpah, who was the once wife and now widow of the son, Chilion, and this other redeemer, we never learn his name. Now, I will tell you, all throughout this series, I have been harping on the meanings of names. Names are a big deal in the Bible. The next book after Leviticus is called Numbers, because there's a lot of numbers in there. There's also a lot of names, The beginning of the Gospels, the book of Matthew, before we learn about Jesus being born, we learn about all the names that came before him in the genealogy. The Bible takes names very seriously. So if someone's name is left out of something, it's not insignificant. And so what we see is Orpah, the widow of Malon, who stayed back in Moab, this redeemer who refused to pay the price, they don't get remembered. Who gets remembered? The people in this summary who get remembered are the ones who were willing to pay the price to do what was right. Let me tell you what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you choose to do what's right, you will be famous. What I am saying is, Is that if an opportunity comes to do what's right and you have to pay the price, what we see in this moment, in this narrative, those who paid the price got remembered. And that's why in our culture this message is so important. Because we live in a culture that says don't pay the price, don't be inconvenienced, go the easiest way. There would not be a book of Ruth if Ruth hadn't been willing to pay the price in chapter one to go back home with Naomi. There wouldn't be redemption in chapter four if Boaz hadn't paid the price to redeem them. And what we see in this text is the people who get remembered are the ones who are willing to pay the price to do what's right. The third piece of this redemption story is this. Boaz and Ruth experience the power of a blessing. A blessing. If you have your Bible open, we're going to hit the final two verses we have for today, verses 11 and 12, which read, All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, Ruth, who's entering the house, your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring, the Lord will give you by this one young woman. What happens in this moment is a blessing. A blessing is a foreign concept to our world. When you hear blessing, you think of the prayer that you hope is short before you eat your food so it doesn't get cold. In my family, we picked the people to pray who could pray the shortest. Because there are people, if you prayed, that you knew the food was going to be cold. That's not the blessing we're talking about here. In this moment, the elders of this community would bless at the end of a transaction like this. When a father was dying, he'd call in his children. He'd lay his hands on and give them a blessing. And in this passage, a blessing is given over three people or three groups. The first one is Boaz. In verse 11, it says, may Boaz be blessed. May he be powerful and his name well known in Bethlehem. What we've seen throughout this book is Boaz is well known. He has what we would call fame, not because of his wealth, but because of his character. Boaz is well known, not because he owns a lot of land, but because of who he is as a man. If you were here a few weeks ago, we were in Ruth 2. Ruth 2 says, Boaz was a prominent man of noble character from a family. He was prominent, not because of his wealth, but because of his character. Later on, the exact same word, noble character, is used in chapter 3 about Ruth. Boaz speaks, all the people in my town know that you, Ruth, are a woman of noble character character. So again, in their world, they didn't have viral fame. They didn't have Instagram, YouTube fame. They just had this small community. Well, but in this community, everyone knew who Boaz was and everyone knew who Ruth was because of the quality of their character. And so if you're in the room today or you're watching online and you are not yet married and you aspire to be, My word to you is this, seek someone or seek to be someone of character. Compatibility is super important. But what's terrible is to be compatible and to be vacuous when it comes to character. If you're going to link your life with somebody, link it with someone who's got character. If you're going to aspire to something, aspire to be someone who has character. The aspiration of the next generation, the number one desired career of the next generation is to be a YouTuber, to be famous. Some of you are looking at me with like a shock. Yes, this is a study that was done in 2019. What do you want to be in Europe? I want to be famous. And in our world, you become famous because of some random skill, some random piece of luck, some moment that you capture on video that everybody shares with their friends. But in this moment, what we see is that Ruth and Boaz were famous because of their character. And what if you sought to be someone, or what if you sought someone for the same reason, character? Boaz gets blessed, Ruth gets blessed. And the elders say of Ruth, Boaz, may the woman coming into your home, Ruth, may she be fertile like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah were the wives of Jacob. Again, remember, narratives are not imperatives. If you want to know why you shouldn't have multiple wives, read the Bible. There's plenty of good examples, why that's a bad idea. Um, but but he, he, they pray that, that Ruth would be fertile like them because it was through Rachel and Leah that the 12 tribes of Israel were born. And in the day of of Ruth, and the day of Naomi, having children was a sign of God's blessing, which is why it's complicated in our world, because many of you, or people you know, are dealing with fertility or secondary fertility. Either you can't have a child or you can't have another child. And I will tell you that this is the reality in the Old Testament, but it's not the reality today. God does not love you less or think that there is something wrong with you that he's trying to punish because you can't have a child. But in this day, they were praying that she might have many children. And they tie it to the name of their home. They say, may Ruth be like Ephrathah, which means fruitful. The town they live in, the town gate they're at, is the gate to a town that has two names. Bethlehem, where Jesus would be born. Ephrathah, may you be fruitful like the name of the place we call home. And then finally they say, bless their children, which we'll get to next week. You got to come back for that one. Some of you have been on Cornerstone for a while and heard me preach a lot of sermons. You're like, Scott, this sermon is missing something. You didn't start with your big idea. I know I broke the pattern. I'm ending with it. The big idea of this message is this, that what Boaz does for Ruth in this life, Jesus does for us eternally. Boaz is a sneak peek or a preview of what Jesus will one day do for you and for me. See, we see in Jesus that unlike the other kinsman redeemer, Jesus is willing to redeem us. On the cross, Jesus gave up his life for you willingly. He wasn't compelled to. He wasn't forced to. He himself said in John 10, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. Jesus didn't die because he had to. He died because he chose to. He willingly gave up his life just as we just saw Boaz willingly sacrifice to redeem Ruth. Second, Jesus is able to redeem because he's our kinsman. He's our near kinsman. Jesus didn't just say, hey, they're forgiven. They're redeemed from heaven. He came to earth. And in Hebrews 4, the writer says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. The reason why Jesus' death matters is he came when he took on flesh. And everything that we have faced or will face, he faced. The difference is we stumble and sin and he did not. And the third piece is that Jesus can pay the redemption price in a day, in a way no one else can. In the book of Acts... I believe it was Peter who said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. There are well known leaders of faiths and religions around the world Confucius, Muhammad, Buddha, Joseph Smith. Each of them taught with some degree of wisdom, all of them died. And their deaths did not change anyone's eternity. Someone could walk in this room today, the same way somebody did into a store in Buffalo yesterday. And I take a bullet for you. And that would extend your life. It would change your life. But it would not change your eternity. And when Jesus redeems us, he pays the price for us in a way no one else can. I can die for you but I can't redeem you. Only he can. And so what we see here is that you and I, we have a redeemer and a savior. The question is, will you embrace his redemption? Will you trust what he's done for you? And will you allow him to redeem you? I've got some next steps for you before we close today that I'd encourage you to take this week. The first one is this. Embrace God's love and your value in his eyes because of the price he paid for your redemption. Why do you matter? Why do you have worth? Why do you have value? Because Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and willingly died for you. Not compelled, willingly. He came not out of compulsion, but out of love. And so as you think about yourself, your identity, your worth, I would encourage you to embrace his love as the statement of your value in his eyes. Do you matter? Look to the cross. The cross is God's expression of love that says you have worth and value. The second next step is this. Reject the temptation to make decisions based upon the least amount of sacrifice required. Some of you are facing big decisions today or in this season. Maybe you're making a pro and con chart, you know, to a paper in half, pros and cons. Sometimes you make decisions like we shop for groceries. What's the cheapest option? I'd encourage you to not make decisions based upon how little sacrifice do I have to make. If you do that, you'll never have kids. You won't stay married. You won't care for your family. And you'll skip opportunities God puts in front of you. Because God's math when it comes to sacrifice is not our world's math. Number three, pay attention to your character and trust God with your impact. I mentioned that uh, Kendall, who's singing today, is graduating this week. There's some of you who are watching who... graduating or you're in a season of transition as you move from high school to college to young adulthood i'd encourage you you're going to step into a world that values impact influence and fame and people are going to tell you to put your focus there what do you want to do what job are you going to have how much money are you going to make and i'd encourage you to chart a different path to pay attention not to your talent or to your success but to your character. I started preaching for the first time 18 summers ago. And in those 18 years since I've been preaching, I have seen preacher after preacher, leader after leader, author after author, influencer after influencer pay attention to their impact, ignore their character and destroy the lives and faith of millions. Their names are now famous for all the wrong reasons. Rabbi Zacharias, Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, Pete Wilson, James McDonald. People who didn't remember that your success and your talent can take you off a cliff. Your success and your talent can take you places your character cannot sustain you. And when you stop paying attention to your character and start focusing on your impact, you're setting yourself up for a fall. So, in a world where we are becoming known as followers of Jesus for leaders who lack character, choose a different path, pay attention to your character. And say, God, I'm going to trust you with my impact. Number four, pray for the person who needs to hear the gospel and invite them to church next Sunday. So if you know somebody, you've been praying for them, you've been sharing the gospel with them, and you're like, man, Easter's done. Is there another good Sunday? Yeah, next Sunday. It's a great Sunday. The way this passage ends is one of the best pictures of the gospel in all of the Bible. I will encourage you, though, it is not your job to invite them here and tag me and say, hey, it, I got him here, Scott, now you save them. I can't save anybody. If there's an invitation and it's a great moment for it, do it. But you have just as much of a responsibility to share the gospel with them as I do. I will also tell you that I have never perfectly practiced a sermon I have preached to you. I'm working on my character really hard because I don't want to be one of those guys. But I have that in me because I'm not better than them. So, God, let to see you on the day. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the way that it speaks to our hearts, our life, our challenges, our opportunities. Thank you so much that this is a place And Cornerstone is a home for people of all ages. People who are looking at their life with a ton in front of them. And there's opportunities to chart a life that's about character or a life that's about success. I think this is a place where people are thinking about their legacy, how they're going to be remembered and what they're going to leave behind. All of us, Jesus, are going to walk this life with fits and stumbles and falls. If we didn't, then we'd have no need for a redeemer and a savior. So I pray that as we listen to and connect with this story in Ruth, we recognize our need for a savior, our need to be redeemed. And if you're watching today from home, you can hear my voice in this room. I wonder if today is the day of your redemption. The day you put your faith and trust in Jesus to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And if that's you, I'd encourage you, don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow's not guaranteed. Today is a day that you could invite Jesus to redeem your life. And you could do it by praying something simple just like this, Jesus, I need you. I have a problem. I'm a sinner. I need help. I need to be redeemed. So today I open my life to you. I give you my life. Would you come in and change me, forgive me, transform me, redeem me, renew me? I've made a mess and I need you. I put my faith in you, Jesus, because you did for me what I can't do for myself. In your name we pray.